Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right. Hey, friends, and welcome back to Wholehearted Eating. So uh, this week we have a listener questions episode. We try to do one of these about every quarter. Um, So the way that this works is we ask both on our Instagram and then also on our Patreon for what do you all want to know? Like, what do you want to hear us talk about? So these are the questions that we got. Um, and you'll see some of them are a little bit timely because I was driving back somewhere with my family. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, what do you want to know? And we got a little bit of road trip questions, but so here are the things we're going to be talking about today. Um, we have a question about TDEE, which is total daily energy expenditure. Um, we have a question on tips to get adequate fuel with low appetite or prolonged fullness. We're going to be talking about the quote, best nutrition when prepping to get pregnant. And then we're going to be talking about our uh, favorite car snacks. And that's actually what we're going to start with. So Christina, go ahead. (laughs) Because I got really excited when we started talking about car snacks, because I also (laughs) thought like, well, are we stopping? Is this the gas station? Like there's so many levels. Are we getting crunchy, snacky things and salty, crunchy things? Or are we getting sweet things? And like, you need to have a little bit of everything. (laughs) At least that's how I am in the car. Now, I also take car snacks very seriously because I have a four-year-old. And so if you do (laughs) not have, other parents will feel me on this. If I do not have a never-ending supply of snacks to entertain and keep Elodie sufficiently satisfied, that road trip is going to be 10 times harder. And so <laughs> I have like a stasher bag full of snacks. And then I do like a whole snack bag where then she's like, I want this stuff. I'm like, Ooh, I got Cheetos or like, I got cheese. It's like this. Santa in the car. <laughs> like I got all kinds of stuff in case he's always like, mom's got snacks. <laughs> like, what do you got? And he always says to me, like, what do you got in there for me? Like, oh, I got some Cheez-Its. And he's like, ooh, I'll take some of those. And <laughs> But my all-time favorite car snack that if we're stopping at the, like, at like a 7-Eleven or a gas station, like on the road, I have to get sour cream and onion chips, but I like the ruffly hers specifically, and I want those available. I also don't ever say no to white cheddar popcorn. I could, and don't spare yourself from getting the little individual packs and get yourself a nice big one because the it will not go size. <laughs> the family size guys. Like it's not going to go about, it's not going to go like, Oh, I'm just not thinking of another one that I really like too. You know, those like, um, those path of Eaton's or whatever those are called oh, yeah. that you can get at Costco. Oh, those ones are really good. They're like perfectly salty and like yummy. Oh my God. I love them. Um, I also like Snickers bars, like Snickers. Like if we're talking candy, I want Snickers. I like Reese's peanut butter, like, or peanut butter cups. I like Reese's pieces too. Like they're like salty and sweet at the same time, which is an incredible, amazing thing. Um, 
I also like Snickers ice cream bars for the car, which sounds, you know, like Dana's first thought when I said that was, is it going to melt? I'm like, it's going to melt in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) That's what napkins are for. (laughs) My point was, unless you have like a freezer cooler bag, you can't like pack that at home and then expect to eat it in a couple of hours. No, that's like, if you're stopping into the, into the gas station, you know, I'll I'll grab one of those, but you know, I do have a four-year-old. So yes, I do pack a a cooler often, but not cold enough to keep ice cream cold, but like, I'll have like cheese sticks in there. Clementines are like a big thing that we like to have in the car as well. Available to us, pretzel sticks, all kinds of different stuff for, for all of us to like get into all the snackies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. So agree to all of the above. I also love bringing plantain chips. So Ooh, yeah. these are usually I get the ones from Trader Joe's cause they're very inexpensive. Um, and they're in like a good size baggie for, you know, one, well, okay. It says six servings, but like, who are we kidding? <laughs> um, More like individual servings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there guacamole um, involved? Because if that's the case, the whole bag is going down. Like that's the thing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, one thing, like if I, so I, I think compared to most people, I travel relatively often. So our, uh, relatives live in New Jersey. So basically we grew and we live in Maryland. So uh, my parents are from Jersey. So we grew up driving up there at least once a month, every month, my whole life more in football season, because we still have season tickets to the giants. Um, so lots of car rides around here because it's basically like, Oh, so we're spending eight hours in the car this weekend. Nice. Can't wait. So always car snacks. Um, so I love plantain chips. If we're going on a long car ride, which basically is anything longer than a New Jersey car ride, um, or depending on when we're eating lunch, dinner, breakfast, whatever, I'll always bring something with protein because otherwise your girl is going to get hangry. So stuff like trail mix, um, mm-hmm. we were talking about before we started recording, we love the ones from there's different ones at Costco, Trader Joe's has great ones. Target has great ones. Um, or even just like, you know, a bag of like cashews or people are like, Oh, I bring a bag of almonds. I'm like, what? No, thank you. Cashews. <laughs> pistachios are fine. Walnuts Ooh, are fine. Pistachios. Like, yum. Now we're they're expensive, but they're good. Um, I for also, a reason. Yes. True. <laughs> um, I also really like certain types of jerky. So my two favorite ones are the brave, good, kind chicken jerky. And we'll write all this down in the show notes. You guys don't have to be like taking notes on this. Um, and then chomps is another one that does like the jerky sticks and you can easily find those at Trader Joe's. Um, and then let's see if we're stopping Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, whatever. Um, I really love the little egg souffle bites yes. that they now have. Thankfully. Oh, so good. The the bacon Gruyere ones are mm-hmm. so the, good. I like the veggie ones too. Yeah, the veggie ones egg good. Whites, I'm like, eh, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but And then I also like the hash browns from Dunkin' Donuts. Those are good. Uh, you go, Christina. We've got other stuff, but. I was going back to the snackies, like the, the crunchy snacks. Obviously, everyone knows where I'm going with this. I like to... St- I like the crunchies, but I was thinking that like, no, obviously like I like crunchy snacks in the car. Like I do, I definitely do. And I didn't really think that I did until now, but I also love bringing Terra chips. Like I love that brand and they have like the Mediterranean zesty ones. Those ones are so good. I like the sweet potato ones. I like all of them. Those are really good. 
Um, if we're stopping at Starbucks, 100% the eggs, egg souffles. Um, but Casey and Ellie usually get like, um, their egg bite sandwiches or Elodie likes to get in the little cake pops that are like the cutest things in the entire world. Pre-gluten-free, um, I didn't really leave without getting an iced lemon pound cake. And if you haven't had one, go now and treat yourself to the most amazing yummy thing ever because it's awesome. Um, but I also really like getting the marshmallow dream bars are so good at Starbucks and they're gluten-free too. Um, they're really yummy. Um, what else? Oh, I like dried fruit too. Like I'll bring like figs or dates with walnuts. I like wait dates with walnuts, um, mixed together or a dried fruit, like mango, um, pretzel sticks, Lara bars. I like bars too. Like, uh, those nature bars that are like fig and blueberry ones. They also make them gluten-free, but Elodie really likes those. Um, applesauce is also like a nice little quick little something um i don't really jive with it but my kid does and so does casey and so i usually always have like an applesauce available what else um we had also talked about cheddar bunnies (laughs) what's that cheddar bunnies oh my gosh cheddar bunnies i thought you were saying chatter bunnies like a chatter box and i was like what is that um (laughs) No, one of the things that we talked about, this is something I commonly recommend for athletes, um, is if you can bring an apple or a banana wherever you're going, and then they have like little either peanut butter or nut butter or seed butter, like squeeze packs that you 100%. can drink also. So then you can like take a bite, do a little squeeze of the peanut butter or whatever, take a bite, do a little squeeze. Um, I do that. That's a good staying power snack, I would say. Definitely. You need something that's going to like give you a little something you know? Mm -hmm. So that's definitely a good one too. I definitely like, I enjoy doing that. We also, I don't know. I think I mentioned it earlier. I like to have clementines and string cheese in the car. Mm -hmm. Like, so if we're stopping someplace, like I'll get string cheese and like a clementine. And for whatever reason that like, is like a nice little, little energy snack. Um, I think that's everything. I'm sure there's like a thousand more I could list because I I love snacks. Clearly we could talk about food forever, ever. I know. I also like, we didn't even talk about beverages that are fun, like beverages for the car. I mean, we didn't even get into that, but literally any beverage you can get in, like you can have. (laughs) (laughs) I like kombuchas. I like, uh, like, I like a seltzer water. I like a nice little soda on a road trip. What Christina's saying is she enjoys burping on road trips. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And having everyone have to deal with it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So now we'll get into the more clinical questions (laughs) after our fun time with snacks. So one of the questions that we got was about uh, TDEE, which is total daily energy expenditure. Um, So this person was asking specifically about using TDEE to find maintenance calories after unintentionally restricting. Um, So as you will see as a common theme, we're going to break down this question. Yeah. <laughs> Before I think, we even get into the quote answer. Well, I think I think some people can fall into the category of unintentionally restricting. And so I don't want to like discount that or invalidate them. But I do think that there are people out there who think that they're unintentionally restricting. And it can be difficult when you ask this type of question about maintenance calories, because then it kind of leads me to think like, were we unintentionally? Because why are we trying to find out what calories are, are like maintenance calories in order to have? Um, 
because that in of itself, finding that number can be restrictive. So to me, the question is more about if we find ourselves unintentionally restricting or we have been restricting is really of like, what do I need to increase my caloric intake to at a bare minimum? That is the important question to me. It's like, is this the bare minimum? Because that can be my goal to start off with making sure that I'm at least getting the bare minimum that I need with exercise as a factor, because that is an important factor. Um, without, But of course, I'm going to say beforehand, disclosure, 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 have you been cleared medically to do exercise? Have you been checked from like your heart rate perspective? If you have been unintentionally restricting for a long period of time, are you at risk for refeeding syndrome? Like, are there, there's a lot of different things that can come up with restriction for a long period of time. And then just jumping into like a, a, what is my basic amount of food that I need to make sure that I'm eating for, for that. I also think it's important for people to remember that when you ask questions like what is T like what is my TDEE or what is my BMR my basic metabolic rate that's for basic organ function that is not for thriving so if you go through a period of restriction yes we want to get to this minimum base camp of okay i'm at least meeting my basic needs for for organ function but I don't like to have your TDE be like something that you're focused on because in a lot of ways, it's kind of irrelevant for the mass majority of people out there. If you're someone who's like trying to find out what your TDE is and you're like going to a nutritionist to do that, personally, I find that to be more of a guessing game and that the calculation really doesn't tell us that much. The same way that I feel like BMI doesn't really tell us that much. Unless we are starting off with a jumping point as like a base number to kind of aim towards if we are in a period of severe restriction and we're trying to rebuild that. Like to me, that's more of a, does that make sense? Am I making sense? I hope I'm making sense to you guys, guys. Yeah. And I mean, so just to clarify for everybody, so total daily energy expenditure or TDEE is an estimation estimation of how many calories you burn per day when exercise is taken into account versus your basal metabolic rate, which is like you're laying in bed all day and this is how much energy your organs need to function. Right. Um, and so this is, you know, and this is a lot of definitions here is like, well, what does exercise even mean? Right. So the analogy that I gave before we started recording is like, I laid in bed all day versus like, I took my dog for a walk. I raced my kids around the house, you know, like I'm taking care of people like that doesn't even include the gym, right? Like, so, or like doing any kind of move intentional movement or anything like that. Right. So that's more under the category of TDEE. So the other thing to know about like TDEE, just like any of these trackers, just like, you know, anything like that, they don't know anything about you, right? Like even these trackers, you know, Fitbit, all these other things, it's like, it's all an estimation, right? The only way to exactly know what any of these numbers is, is if you were to go to a lab and they hook you up to all these different tubes and everything so they can measure your carb, uh, not carbohydrate, carbon dioxide expenditure and the rate at which your body burns energy and all of that kind of stuff. Who among you is doing that? Not me. I can tell you that right now, right? So there's, it's always going to be an estimation. But at the same time, 
we can use that estimation for what it is as an estimation. So for example, if you are somebody who is, you know, relatively sedentary, or if you, you know, don't really do a lot of intentional movement, and then all of a sudden you're doing a lot of intentional movement, that jump from estimation one to estimation two can give us information. Do I need the exact number? No, it's like, okay, well, your body was, you know, burning some energy here. Now it's going to burn a lot more if you're doing more intentional movement, right? So that's generally how we think of it. So the other thing to be wary of with this is going back to the question itself, right? Is, and granted, this is where we put all of the disclaimers because like the only thing that we know about this person is literally this one sentence of a question, right? So to the person who asked this question, um, Obviously, none of this is directed at you because we really don't know anything about you. It's just for purely informational purposes. But, you know, of course, just a little disclaimer there. But so I wanted to bring this up because there can be a lot of different angles from which this question is being asked, right? So for for example, if it's an athlete... athlete that I'm working with and they're training for some kind of, you know, competition or whatever. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh my God, I think I was, you know, under eating for my activity level. I need to make sure that I'm eating, you know, enough to fuel my performance for this race or whatever it is. Yeah. That's something that then we might use. It's like, okay, you know, let's see, you know, where you are, where your body is like, you know, with this estimation is like, wow, you were undernourishing, right? Like, let's make sure we get you back to a baseline and then refuel you so that you can feel good in your training. That's one aspect. It could also be somebody who was either unintentionally or intentionally restricting. And now using TDEE is kind of one step of a, on let's say the permission slip ladder of like, okay, well, it's okay for me to eat this much food. But not that much food, but this much food, right? But if that's where you're at, then that's okay. This is, that's progress. So I also don't want to discount that either, that that can be progress too. Um, Because again, it's, it is this ladder, right? And eventually we're going to get to the point of like, how do I check in with my own body to know exactly what it needs? And how is my body telling me that through the language that my body is speaking to me? Yeah. So that's where I wanted to go next is, reframing this question, right? Even without doing any tracking, no TDEE, no BMR, basically what this person is asking is like, how do I know if I'm eating enough? (laughs) Ultimately, yeah. Yeah. And that is something that is asked, I would say by every single client that I've ever worked with. Every single client, yeah. Right. And so from a traditional dietetics perspective, they would do a calculation be like, oh, well, you know, let's, let's input your information, right? Like let's put in your height, let's put in your weight, let's put in your age, let's put in your quote activity level, which is very subjective, you know? So it, cause a lot of these, you know, trackers don't give you, well, here's, give me all of your information. This is where you should fall into the lightly active, moderately active, very active, extremely active. There's all these different like categories and things. And depending on which one of those modifiers is what they call it that you pick, that's going to give you a very different answer. Um, So this is why we do not ever recommend, don't Google TDEE and be like, what is my TDEE? Because then it's going to be very MyFitnessPal-esque of what Christina just found when we were preparing for this episode, where it's like, if you eat X number of calories under your blah, 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 then you'll lose X amount of weight. First of all, that doesn't work. (laughs) What are you talking about? You don't know anything about me. That's not how the body works. 
Yes. But so going back to like, how do you know if you're eating enough? Here are a couple of relatively simple things um, that you can do to try and check in without any kind of tracking. Now, the disclaimer here is depending on your history of your relationship with food and restriction and all of these things, you may not be able to hear these cues. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It just means that these are things that we can work towards. Yeah. One, energy. I say this to every single client of mine, energy begets energy. If you're not feeling it, it's most likely because you're not taking it in. So usually that's like my number one thing that I'll work with my clients on is what is your energy throughout the day? Does it feel consistent? Does it feel like like you're able to do the things that you want to do? But also, are you asking too much? I don't know, right? There's a lot of different factors that go into that. But if you're experiencing like uh, like big slumps in the day, we refer to that as like the energy roller coaster a lot of times. If you're finding that you're kind of like chasing energy, you're most likely not eating enough and that maybe you actually do or you need to package things in a different way in order to get make sure that you're getting sustained energy, which is like kind of like macronutrients 101, which we're not going to get into today. today but you do want to make sure that you're getting protein, fat, and carbohydrates for that sustained energy throughout the day. But that also means that you don't want to have a deficit, right? If you're not eating enough and you're not getting enough, you're certainly not going to have the energy because it takes energy to make energy. So the easiest way to do it is to give yourself plenty of energy. And then your body's like, yay, I know what to do. <laughs> and does all the things with it which is awesome. Even though we're told otherwise, the body's like, I know how to handle this. And so that to me is like the first thing that I always Mm -hmm. tell people is like, look at your energy. What's it look like for the day? Do you notice any periods of time when it feels like a major slump or you're hitting something or hitting a wall? Most people it's three o'clock, you know, (laughs) that afternoon slump. Um, And to consider that is like a major thing. Yeah. And one, one thing that's, not even necessarily a check-in in any way, which is a little brutal, but you guys know how I am. Um, if you're not eating breakfast or any kind of morning meal, you're not eating enough. <laughs> Coffee doesn't Period. <laughs> Period. And stop. That's it. Yeah. You're not eating enough then because it's really difficult to get in all the nutrients that you need in a day to thrive when you're not having breakfast on top of it. When you take out a meal, you're naturally not going to be eating enough. And here's, here's the counter argument that people will say, and then I will give you the following counter argument. It's like, but they're like, but Dana, I'm getting enough of my, you know, all of the nutrition that I need in like lunch and dinner or whatever. Here's the thing about the body is the body doesn't stop digesting from, you know, whatever 9 PM the night before to noon, the next day, you're constantly processing energy in order for your heart to beat, your muscles to move to all the things. You think your body can digest an entire day's worth of food in two meals? Most likely not, unless you have the most robust digestive system in the world, which none of my clients have, right? So it's like, (laughs) yeah, you might be intaking the amount of food that your body needs or like intaking the amount of food that you think your body needs. But at the other step is, okay, well, what are, what is your body doing with that nourishment, right? Are you able to break down and assimilate all of those different nutrients into your cells? Or is it a little bit too much for your body to handle in that short amount of time window? So that's just yeah, and how, another thing to think about. 
and how efficient is it? And like all of the different things come up too. And I think that kind of leads to, um, you know, like paying attention to your hunger in between meals too. Like knowing then like how long after you've eaten, are you hungry again? Here's the thing that I talk to my clients about, and this will make you very uncomfortable for everyone listening to this, I think. If you're thinking about food all day long, you are not not eating enough. (laughs) You're not eating enough, period, and stop, that's it, right? Skipping breakfast, thinking about food all day, which is really uncomfortable for people because they think like, well, I'm eating, but I'm thinking about it all the time. One of our most extreme hunger cues that our body gives us is thinking about food, obsessing about food, ruminating about food. If you're doing that, you're not eating enough. Yeah. And that can feel really uncomfortable, right? Because we feel like we're like obsessed with eating and feel like we're constantly eating. But if we're thinking about it all the time, then you might want to try eating a little bit more at each meal and see what happens and see if that noise kind of starts to quiet down. Mm-hmm. And you know, since we both work in the disordered eating and eating disorder field, we do want to acknowledge that there are a lot of different hunger cues that people cannot hear um, Mm -hmm. based on their history of their relationship with food or restriction or health conditions or anything like that. So we're not even saying like, oh, well, if your stomach is growling, you know, one or two hours after a meal, then that definitely means you're hungry. Well, yeah, it does. But stomach growling is not, is one of the very like, far along symptoms of hunger, right? There are so many other physical sensations of hunger or hunger cues, their mental, emotional cues. Um, one of the things that we'll link to on Patreon with, as part of our bonus content for this week will be, if you are in there, um, you can look at our document that we have of not only the hunger fullness scale done the wholehearted eating way, but different cues that you can look for, especially if you're having trouble checking in with your physical hunger cues too. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important thing too, because it's hard. It's really hard to, to feel that, um, awareness when we've been turning away from it for so long. And that's why I sometimes tell people to, to look away from maybe the physical and think more about the mental and like, what is the mind kind of chattering about a lot? Because that is also a major sign. And I think it's a really overlooked sign because we think about it like I'm addicted to it or I'm obsessed with thinking about eating, but really it's actually a sign of hunger, which I think a lot of my clients are like, say what now? (laughs) Are you addicted to food or are you just hungry? (laughs) Right? It's like, or have you not been eating enough for a very long time? Yeah. So Speaking of that, great transition to, into our next question, Christina. Thank you so much. It's like You're we're welcome. work married. <laughs> um, well, we so are. The, the next question we got is, do you have any tips to get adequate fuel with low appetite or prolonged fullness? So my first <sighs> question in response to this question, and this is not something that, they, something that they would know the answer to, but putting my clinician's hat on is, okay, my first question is, why do we have low appetite and why do we have prolonged fullness? And that's most of the time, not something you're going to be able to answer, right? So this is when we start to look into the clinical side of things. When I'm seeing someone with low appetite or prolonged fullness, the two main things that I'm thinking of is a history of restriction, which is leading to kind of a shrunken appetite, or at least in the short term. And then also looking at gut health. 
because there are many different factors that can be affected by either an overactivated nervous system, hello, stress, um, or some kind of imbalance in the GI tract that can lead to low appetite or prolonged fullness, which can be suppression of digestive enzymes. It can be suppression of stomach acid, which is really important in the digestion of different proteins. If you ever have the feeling of like a rock in your stomach, that's a telltale sign of not having enough stomach acid. And this is when you can also look into other things like supplementation and medications in terms of the things that you're taking and is low appetite or prolonged fullness, a common side effect of something that you are taking. And so this is where we start to, as clinicians look into, Ooh, before we even get to like, what are some tips that we can help you to deal with this, which obviously we will get to, but it's both a root cause approach. And then also a short-term solution approach at the same time, because we can give you all the short-term tips to work with this stuff, but why is it happening in the first place is my main yeah. question. Yeah. The, the thing that and it's interesting because we have such different perspectives because of our client, right? Your clients, you're immediately going to like gut health, right? Which is totally understandable. My initial thought is gastroparesis as a result of anorexia. That's the first thing that I think of when I hear prolonged fullness. I think, okay, why is your body having a slowed emptying of of the gut, of the food into your system. Why is it sitting there? How is it happening? Is it not getting the muscular integrity there? Is something happening? Are we bulimic and that's part of it? Are we, um, have we been undernourishing ourselves to the point where our body's organ function is not working well? Because again, you have to think about the way that our gut works is through, for those who don't know what gastroparesis is, we have a peristalsis of the gut, right? Where it has to like move the food along and it's like almost like a wave-like type of tendency. If we're not taking in energy, it doesn't, the body doesn't have the functionality and the energy in order to do that. So sometimes, often with anorexia or arfrid or bulimia or other types of things too, we're nutriently depleted. And therefore we have this slow emptying of the gut. So to me, if we're having low appetite and prolonged fullness, I have to think too, like, and again, it could be a chicken and egg situation. Maybe part of it is it started off with GI issues that caused you to have prolonged fullness. So then therefore you under ate and then your appetite went down. And then it also is like, kind of like, this unintentional anorexia or an afraid where we're avoiding food as a result of that. But the result and the question that Dana's asking is the same. Where is this coming from and why is it happening? Because we're supposed to be able to move through food through our body. Yeah. And this actually weirdly connected back to the first question, right? Because it could have been that this, you know, person number two or question, question number three, I guess, um, is, you know, when we're looking to, get adequate fuel in to help with low appetite or prolonged fullness, that could have been the unintentional restriction that led to the previous question looking to, okay, well, I realize that I've been under eating or under fueling or under nourishing because I have low appetite and prolonged fullness. What is the actual energy amount that I need to be intaking to make sure that I'm not under fueling? So look at you all, your questions are all weaving together. <laughs> You guys, it's like you planned this, but I also think too, with the prolonged fullness piece as well, like going back, like making sure there was like something else that I wanted to mention about it. But I think too, like 
there are things that you can do. I don't want to leave you feeling like, okay, so great. I'm under eating. And so now I need to eat more, but it feels uncomfortable to eat more. Oh no, we're coming to the action steps now. (laughs) Yeah. There's action steps. So one, yes, eating will make it better, which is really, really physically uncomfortable, right? Really uncomfortable for a myriad of different reasons. Maybe you have physical discomfort. Maybe you have a lot of bloating. Maybe there's a lot going on. Maybe you have a weird relationship with food or a really difficult combative relationship with food. And we are intentional restricting, or it's really difficult for us to do that or avoiding food, right? So to say like, it's really difficult when I have that conversation with clients of mine with anorexia or ARFRID where they're, they're not eating. And I have to say, well, the only way this is going to get better is if you eat. And it is true. It does resolve with eating, but That doesn't mean that we can't bring in tools from our toolbox, like Dana mentioned, to help the gut do it if we're not doing it on our own. There are things that you can take, like digestive enzymes. You can help support acid reflux, I mean, um, gastric acids, if that's not, if you're not producing enough through like things like apple cider vinegar, diluted in water, uh, um, different types of things that you can do to help support that, that kind of help just to help with the discomfort and the physical discomfort of starting to increase more food. And you'll be surprised by how your appetite starts to come back pretty quickly as you start to support those things. I think that's like one of the, like the surprising things a lot of my clients say, it's like, oh, I'm feeling hunger now. And I wasn't feeling hunger for a really long time. And now they're like, oh, I'm waking up hungry, mm-hmm. which is really, it's really cool. But you do have to kind of support those two things at the same time, but you yeah. do ultimately have to start eating more. Yes. And one other connection that I forgot to mention before is this is really common if you are someone who has done intermittent fasting or mm-hmm. someone who hasn't been eating breakfast for a long time. If you're like, oh, but I'm just not hungry in the morning. Yeah, probably because your body's just not used to digesting food at that time, right? So one of the first things that I would say with even without even changing anything about what you're eating or looking into that is doing meals more often to get your body used to eating. This can look like smaller meals more often, right? So we're not even necessarily changing the amount of food that you're eating. It's just like, okay, well, instead of having, you know, quote, three square meals a day, it's, well, break up your lunch into two parts or break up your dinner into two parts, you know, give your body some ch- a chance to go through that peristalsis, which is the waves at, and the rate at which your body kind of moves through food through your body, through the migrating motor complex, if you've ever heard that before. Um, <laughs> And so doing smaller meals more often or breaking up your current meals can be really helpful. I would also say, try to go for, and this is a tip that you can use if you're having any kind of GI issues as well is, and this is going to sound a little gross, but try to go for pre-digested foods. And by that, I don't mean like the mama bird chewing the food and then giving it to the baby. What (laughs) I mean is doing things like soups and smoothies and things that have already started through the process of mechanical digestion, right? So easier to digest foods, cooked vegetables instead of a lot of raw vegetables, right? Slow cooked meats instead of things that are like very tough and hard to digest. Like red meat is probably not going to be your best friend right now, only because it's one of the hardest protein structures to break down, right? So doing things like that and learning how you can leverage nutrition in the short term and like basically facts about food, like red meat has harder protein structures to break down than like 
chicken, right? Or eggs or something like that. It's just the way it is, right? It's not a restriction thing. It's not saying don't eat red meat. It's like, if red meat doesn't feel great right now compared to eggs or something, lean more towards eggs for now while we're figuring out what's going on at a deeper level. I think also too, one of the things, and I don't know, maybe, maybe you won't agree with me, but I also find um, sometimes when you have like that, that really, really distinct, uncomfortable fullness, it may feel counterintuitive, but I also enjoy going for like a little walk afterwards, like a gentle walk afterwards. I feel like it helps turn things on a little bit and gets things moving in like a very gentle way. That's not an invitation to go for a run. Better is not more. You'll throw up and that's disgusting and uncomfortable and talk about a bellyache. So don't do that. Less is more. Like a literal gentle walk. Running will also disrupt your digestion. Yes, exactly. But also even like maybe just like a gentle rubbing of your belly could be like a nice thing too, like a little belly massage, things like that, that can help kind of like let your body be like, oh, I'm going to help you move things along a little bit. I'm going to get some blood pumping. Mm-hmm. A little bit in that area, I think could be really helpful too. I noticed yeah. that for myself the other night when I had nachos, we made nachos and I was like, ooh. And then afterwards, I, I was like, little, <laughs> I, know, I was like, I went a little hard on the nachos. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it wasn't like in like, I want to burn calories kind of way. It was like, I want to move some things along. So I took Billy for a little walk and it was perfect because it really did help with like helping my body kind of digest the food. Yeah. So, so really- interestingly, and like tying our episodes together. So next week we have an episode on pelvic floor dysfunction and the bonus content on Patreon next week is actually with Brittany from Brittany Roman wellness, which is where, who we interviewed a couple of months ago on irritable bowel disorder. And in the bonus content, we're talking about evidence-based non-diet recommendations to help with IBS and IBD symptoms. And movement is one of them. So good Yay! job, Christina. <laughs> I did it. Okay. Um, should we jump into our last question? Yes. Is- which is more your wheelhouse. So do you want me to ask it? <laughs> sure. You could ask it. Yeah. Okay. Christina, what is the best nutrition when prepping to get pregnant? And this is word for word from the person who asked the question. There's going to be a lot of disclaimers in this one. <laughs> yeah. My first kind of was like tongue in cheek eating was my first response when we like started thinking about this, but I don't want to like make anyone feel like, well, duh, you know, <laughs> obviously you guys know that. Right. Um, but I think one of the things that is interesting is like, you can read a lot of stuff that's so orthorexic about, I'm not even going to say I have a story, but I'm not going to share it, um, in detail because I actually find it to be incredibly harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a lot of narratives out there about eating and prepping for pregnancy and like long-term, like what that looks like for you in your entire pregnancy and postpartum experience that I find to be incredibly harmful language. A lot of orthorexia in the pregnancy space. (laughs) Yes. And also too, in an area that feels so personal and so, um, also like, if you weren't aware of your body before getting pregnant, man, you're about to be like, it's like, and it's going to tell you all kinds of things. And sometimes that level of body awareness is really, really challenging if you're not used to it, if you're used to kind of disassociating from your body. So my number one advice for nutrition when prepping to get pregnant would be variety adding things in like a really high quality prenatal vitamin and making sure that you're eating it adequately. 
that's like, those are like my main, my main things, eating enough for yourself, making sure that you're nourishing yourself, making sure that you're not restricting in any way. Don't, this is not the time to remove a bunch of foods or do anything like that. This is a time to like really let your body know that you have its back and that you're going to nourish it, that you're taking care of it. You're giving it all that it needs and more. Um, and it's going to, to, to be able to provide that for you because my number one thing, when people come to me and they say, um, um, about what do I do nutritionally when I'm trying to get pregnant is we have to make sure we're eating enough. We have to make sure that you're getting enough nutrients in and energy because it makes energy to make a baby. There's a lot of steps that go into all of the, I mean, think about how complex that is. You have to like, you have to literally grow an organ that you also birth alongside your child. And that organ provides all of the nutrients that it needs for its baby. That takes a shit ton of work. It takes a, so much energy, so much blood, so many nutrients in order to do that. So the only thing that you should be focused on when you're trying to get pregnant is, am I fueling myself? Am I giving my body what it needs in order to do a really big task? Mm-hmm. That's how yeah, I And I it. mean, you can't restrict in order to build beyond what you have, right? So it's like, if, if we're using the analogy of like, I want to build a house and then, you know, restrict the restriction gremlins come in because of all of the orthorexic stuff that you've seen in the, if you're ready to get pregnant, you know, here are the things that you should take out. What they're basically saying is, okay, you're still going to build the house, but I'm only giving you half of the people and half of the materials. That's going to take a lot longer. And those people are going to have to work a whole lot harder in order to build that house. Cause you have a finite amount of time, <laughs> right? Like once you get pregnant, you're, you've got a window of how long this is going to take. Right. And it's, this is, I think as someone who it doesn't even have kids, but this makes me so mad on behalf of all of the people that I work with and friends and everybody that I've heard from who goes through and hears all about the uh, well, one unsolicited advice on what you should, should do quote unquote with your body when you're trying to make a baby. Um, but then also all of the like, oh no, you should be eating this and you shouldn't be eating that when you restrict, you're putting your nervous system in a state of sympathetic activation. The, one of the best things that you can do, whether or not you're trying to build a baby, if you're trying to bring your nervous system back into the safety state of rest and digest is eating enough and eating consistently. Mm-hmm. That's a, one of the very rare general recommendations that I can make for everybody everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Same, same. I mean, I feel like that I tell that to every single client. I think that's what I mean by eating enough, right? Do I have easy accessible, I mean, easily accessible foods available to me on a consistent level that's nourishing and filling and I'm eating adequately every day. That's mainly like, that's what you need to do. That's, that's the main thing. And that should be what you focus on. And if you don't know what that looks like, try to eat every two to three hours, go back and think to yourself, have I had anything to eat? When was the last time I had something? Was it three hours ago? I should probably have something to eat and then go do that. Like that's ultimately what you should do. And to go back again to like that first question about the TDEE piece too. I do remember when I was pregnant with Elodie and not as much with Noah, but with Elodie for sure. I remember there were times where I periodically did 
check my caloric intake because I was worried that I wasn't eating enough. And I wasn't, I wasn't eating enough. And I was like, oh my God, I need to like, to like really add in more and be more intentional with this. So sometimes you could be really shocked what it looks like about like, is this enough? You could be, you can be shocked by that. And I think that's really important to kind of note too, that it's probably more than you think. Uh, Yeah. And speaking of that (laughs) content coming up soon. So we're going to do a whole episode on this because I got a couple of questions from clients of mine. um, And this is something that I see with almost every single person that I work with who is pregnant, especially in the first and second trimester is we're going to do a whole episode where I interview Christina about nutrition during pregnancy and managing expectations of nutrition during pregnancy. (laughs) And then also like troubleshooting morning nausea. Um, and like we we're bringing the tea on this episode, but that's going to be in about two, three weeks. So you can look forward to that as well. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really excited about it because I feel like it's not something that's discussed very often. And we were trying to think of someone who we could bring on to like interview for it. And I thought, well, why can't I just share my lived experience, you know, and as a nutritionist, um, how telling it was for me. And honestly, like it was probably the most like, um, like each time I've been pregnant, um, has been a deeper like journey into my relationship with food and my body every single time. Like just when I feel like I have it figured out and like know myself and your body's like new level unlocked. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly like you have been, (laughs) you've been upgraded to the next level. It's like, what? (laughs) There's more. (laughs) So um, we're going to talk about all that and like what the expectations are and what we hold for ourselves as, as individuals, when we think about um, pregnancy and like what, like, I think also to like what the world out there kind of portrays about pregnancy and what that looks like. And I'm going to tell you all the real tea. (laughs) What to expect. (laughs) What to expect when you're expecting nutrition edition. (laughs) (laughs) Wholehearted eating. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. So that will be coming up soon. Um, So this is our listener questions episode, everyone. So if you have uh, questions on this episode, comments on this episode, you know what to do. Um, email us hello at wholeheartedeating.com. Um, you can DM us at wholeheartedeatingpod on Instagram or either one of our individual Instagrams. If you want any of the bonus content that we were talking about, go check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating. Um, and if you're like, oh my God, I didn't get in a question in time for this listener questions episode, don't worry. We're going to do another one in the fall. Um, so you can also contact us any of those ways and then just submit your question and be like, Hey, can you all file this away for your next listener questions episode? Of course we will. Yes, definitely. I wish we could get to every single question. Oh man. Well, maybe eventually, (laughs) (laughs) maybe with time. All right. Bye. Bye.